Gospels, and we're reading from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. By obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached as the gospel to you. So rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure spiritual milk, so that you may grow by it for your salvation." Since you have tasted that the Lord is good, coming to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and valuable by God, you yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it is contained in scripture, look, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honoured cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honour will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone, and a stone to stumble over, and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the message. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our time in that part of God's word this evening. Uh, my question uh, to start off with is, um, what do you make of church? What, what do you think of church? And I don't just mean like theoretically in our heads, uh, but actually in practice, how, what is church and how important is it? Some people would think that church is just a bunch of strange people doing outdated things, sure. I hope that's not us. Um, is it just a social club? Is it kind of um, a dispenser of forgiveness or just the place where we can kind of connect spiritually with God? Or is there something more to it? Is it a particular gathering at a particular time with a particular bunch of people? That's an important question, given what's going on at the moment around our church. And then how significant is it and how important is it actually? Because a lot of people around the world would want us to think that actually it's really not important. It's kind of a bit of a whatever. It's sort of a strange hobby that we have, like the guy at work who does karate. You know, this weird thing we do on the side. Is it that significant or is it a bit more? I mean, we're all sitting here thinking, of course, of course, it's more important than that. But, but actually, when it comes down to day to day, how important is it in our actions? Sometimes we're busy and it's just, it just feels like a bit of a chore to get to church, really. Especially when you're on something, you've got to serve, you know. They can feel that way, can't it? How significant is church? It can't really be that significant, can it, if, we, if it's so bodgy sometimes and the musicians make silly mistakes and, you know, people turn up late and the pastors make dumb decisions and, you know, all these sorts of things. It can't be that important, really. 
That's the question, but, but look what uh, Peter has to say about the church in verse 9 of our reading. He says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession. Um, if you know the Holman, you know all those bits in bold are, are quotes from the Old Testament. These are mostly from uh, Exodus 19. They're these great statements about who God's people are, our Old Testament Israel, how amazingly significant they are. They kind of failed in a sense, but it's become true of us today. That is us. That's who we are here as a church. Do Do you ever think that? That's who we are as a church? That's how important we are? That's us. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to describe it as kind of God's new holy society. That's what we're brought into. It's an incredible privilege. Incredible privilege is actually what Peter's been on about for most of the letters so far. If you flick back with me to the beginning, you'll see what I mean. Verse 3, he says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because he's in his great mercy. He's given us this new birth and this great hope in the future that can never be taken away from us. What a privilege. And then a little bit later, at verse 10, the prophets have all been hoping to look into this. They've been straining towards it. Sorry, the angels long to look into it, and we have it. What a privilege. And then it says later that the next, after, after telling us about our privilege, it tells us that we're called to holiness. And so verse 15, but as the one who called you is holy, you, are, are, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. Why? Well, verse 18, because the lamb slain before the creation of the world, the Lord Jesus, was slain for you and I, that we'd be set free from sin and actually live in the freedom of being God's people, his holy society. What a privilege. What a call for holiness. It's a big call. But the thing tonight is this. The privilege that we have is not just about us as individuals. And the holiness we're called to is not just about individuals. Holiness actually includes loving each other because what we're called to, our privilege is to be a new holy society. I'm going to kind of unpack that as we go along. Here's the first point. The church, a holy society of earnest love. That's the first thing I want to say. Look with me at verse 22 of our passage. Chapter 1, verse 22. It says, By obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. See, God is making this new holy society, not just a bunch of individuals. And so holiness is not just about stop doing bad things, individual. It's about love. So follow that verse carefully with me. Verse 22. It says, But by obedience to the truth, that is when we believed the gospel, having purified yourselves, this this kind of sounds like what we're used to, right? I said no to sin. I'm not going to live in sin anymore. What was the purpose of it all? Look at this. For the purpose of all that, of obedience and purifying, is for sincere love of the brothers. I don't know if you realize that, that when you believed the gospel way back when, you not only said, okay, no, I'm I'm going to stop sinning. No. You also said yes to something. Yes to sincere 
brotherly love or family love. Why? Because God rescued you not just to be an individual who floats around being saved by yourself, but into this new society, this holy society. That's God's work in us. And so his command, the one big imperative in that verse is love one another earnestly. If you look at the footnote to the word earnestly, it says intensely. That's actually the word used to describe Jesus when he's praying in the garden. Remember that scene? Jesus praying in the garden. It's just kind of kicking back, chilling out. No. It's intense, isn't it? He's kind of sweating drops of blood. Brothers and sisters, we are called to love like that. This kind of stretching, straining, sometimes painful kinds of love. That's what we're called to because we're a new society. And I actually see wonderful examples of that in our church family um, as we serve each other. As we do things for each other that we don't necessarily, it's not our first choice of things to do, you know, but we do it out of love. We serve. An example was I sent an email out uh, asking people to give things for Tim in his new place to move into. And people didn't just offer stuff that they kind of had hanging around. People wrote back and said, if he's missing stuff, I'm happy to buy it. That's, that's kind of that stretching love of our new society that we enjoy here. And the thing I love about this is this is holiness. We often think of holiness as stainless steel. You know, it's clean. There's no, no, no it's completely cold and hard. There's nothing bad on it. It's totally clear. That's holiness, right? We do nothing bad. I'm not naughty. That's not holiness. Holiness also has this really positive aspect called love. It's really earthy, dirty, get your hands dirty kind of love in the day to day. This is the holiness we're called to as God's people. And another reason for it is given in the very next verse. Verse 23. Why would we love each other this way? Well, look at verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Church is not not just kind of this human thing, is it? It's not just a club you guys decided to join. I think I'm ready for a lifestyle change. I'll join the church. Bad choice. Something divine has actually happened that's created the church. Something divine and enduring. That is, God has spoken. The same voice that said, let there be light. And there was. Has said to each one of us, as if we trust in Jesus, be born again. And we were. That's how the church is created. Once we were kind of off living separate from God, we were dead to God. We didn't have any connection with him. We didn't know him. And then he called out and said, be forgiven. Have life. Know me. Be born again. Join my holy society, my church, and learn to love each other. And we did. That happened. God said it. It happened. It was a divine thing that created our church. That's what uh, verse 24 is is saying in its quote. It's telling us about about God's word. All flesh is like grass, all its glory like a flower of of the grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. All the kind of human ideas and kind of uh, philosophies and technologies, it's like, they're like a dandelion. You know? 
off they go. But what the Lord has said to you and about you personally will never change. It endures. And that quote from Isaiah, that, that little bit there about all the, the grass and stuff, it's not just telling us about the Word of God. It actually tells us a bit of what the Word of God is. Like you kind of zoom out and see the context of that, of that quote. It's from Isaiah 40. Um, it's, it's, Isaiah's talking to Israel in exile from God, cut off from him. I feel like that's kind of our world in many ways. That's our world cut off from God. But, but the word in Isaiah 40 is exile's over. God is returning in glory to rule. And he's going to take you, if you trust in him, he's going to draw you near and hold you in his arms like a little lamb and protect you. That's the gospel word. And look at the end of verse 25. This is the word that was preached as the gospel to you. That's the word that God spoke over you. Maybe not in exactly those words. But he spoke that word to you. Your exile is over, Dana. Your exile's over. Mark, your exile is over. Your distance from me, your sin, it's over. Come near, be forgiven, be born again. Join my holy society and learn to love each other. That was the word of God. And it was so. Friends, I hope you get the sense from this passage of how significant the church is. It's like a miracle. God said it. It's God's plan. We were brought into being by his powerful gospel word, and you are a part of it. I, mean, I don't really care what other kind of organization or club you're part of. It's not as significant as this, is it? This is the most important thing you belong to. And this is why it hurts so much when we make announcements like we did two weeks ago about how church is changing, um, because it is significant, and you guys feel it deeply, um, and that's a right thing to feel. And I know some people are frustrated and disappointed about, disappointed about those decisions, disappointed in me and Paul. Maybe some people are even so, just disappointed in the whole idea of church. Why do we even need church? I hope this passage kind of puts things into context a little bit and says, even if Dan disappoints you and Paul does, don't let the big idea of church ever disappoint you. Church is what God is doing. He's creating this new society, even in the midst of this old dying world. It's a miraculous thing. Well, secondly, the word gives us new birth into this church, but also the word makes us grow. And so point two is the church feeding on the word. Would you look with me at chapter two and verses one to three? So rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it for your salvation since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Can you say those last words about yourself? I've tasted that the Lord is good. I don't just know it in my head. I've actually kind of got this sense I've tasted it. Jonathan Edwards, a famous old Puritan guy, wrote this. There is a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having a sense of the loveliness and beauty of that holiness and grace. Just like there's a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet 
and having a sense of its sweetness. Do you know the sense of God's sweetness? I hope you've tasted it. Some of you might be sitting here tonight saying, no, I've no idea. God for me is not a happy thought. Get to know the Lord Jesus. You'll find him sweet. Some of us sitting here going, oh yeah, he is sweet. Some of us are sitting here thinking, I've tasted that the Lord is good. But not right now. I don't know that taste. Well, friends, I want to say, if you've tasted, don't you want more of it? No, we taste some tasty food. You want more, don't you? You have the nice little bit of sushi roll, and you think, oh, I'll have another one of them. Thank you very much. And another. And another. Because sushi never fills you up, right? Never does. But this is what we're like. We should, we should want more of God. But here's the crazy thing. If you're like me, this is how you go. Oh, yeah, I know the Lord tastes good. I've tasted him, but I don't want any more. Do you know what I mean? We kind of just, we just wander away. We know it tastes good to be close, fellowship with the Lord, knowing his love and peace and hope and forgiveness. But we just sort of, we don't go there sometimes. And so we're encouraged to draw near, to, to, to get stuck into God. How do we get stuck in? Well, Peter says, get stuck into the word. The pure spiritual milk. That's how you were birthed. That's how you're born again. That's how you continue to grow. Growth happened through the gospel word, pure spiritual milk. Um, some of you will know that um, newborn infants quite like milk. Yes, they do. Um, sometimes, you know, when they're feeding, when they really want milk, they, they're not doing that thing where they go, They're kind of like, oh, they've got milk kind of dribbling down themselves. They're like, I love milk. And they get milk drunk. You've seen this in babies. They love milk, right? Why? Because they die without it. <laughs> it's their life. They need milk. They want milk. They crave milk. Uh, literally, I think that's a better translation of the word here that says, desire pure spiritual milk. You actually crave the pure spiritual milk. Because friends, like newborn infants, you will die without it. We die as Christians without this pure spiritual milk, the word of God, the gospel word that gave us birth. We just wither. Talk to Christians who are struggling and I say, are you reading the word? No. It's no surprise. What else is going to show us Jesus and help us grow except for the word about Jesus? What out there in the world is going to help? Christian songs, you might say, conversations with Christians, Christian blogs, sure, but they're, they're kind of, as long as they've got the gospel word in them, that's what's going to make us grow. That's why at church we, just, we preach through the Bible. Small groups, we look at the Bible. We're, we're always looking at the Bible. That's why. Because we've tasted that the Lord is good. And we want to grow up in him. If you're someone who wants to be, uh, spend more time in the Word, but not quite sure how, I'd love to talk to you. Well, as we come to Jesus through his Word, he actually does something quite remarkable in us, and that's our third point. The church, living stones in a holy house. Please look at verse 4 with me. The church, living stones in a holy house. Coming to him, a living stone, rejected by men but chosen and valuable to God, you yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God 
through Jesus Christ. It's quite a weird thing, isn't it? Living stones. I don't see many of them around much. Living, of course, because this living stone is about Jesus, who is alive. And stone, well, because he wants to pick up a whole bunch of Old Testament quotes about rocks. So the first one, that first little quote that you'll see there, look, I lay a stone, is from Isaiah 28. And what's going on there is that there's this proud Israel. They're like, we're fine, God. We're going to live our own way, and we will be fine. We are secure. Sound familiar? Like our world? We're just going to live our own way, God, and we'll, we'll be all right. We're secure. And God says, actually, you're not. There's only one safe place in this world, and it's a cornerstone. There's this thing, this cornerstone. You guys have heard of cornerstones, yeah, in the building? They used to be massive way back when. They used to have these massive cornerstones, like massive cornerstones for a big building. And it had to be totally square because that's how they took their lines, right? For that wall and then that wall were right in line with the cornerstone. And the rest of the building were kind of built on top of it, more or less. Very important thing, the cornerstone. God says, you've only got one place to build that's secure in this world. The one cornerstone, the Lord Jesus. Build your life on him and you'll never be put to shame. You'll never be disappointed. But then there's these quotes from Psalm 118 and Psalm 8 further on that say, well, actually, you know what? Plenty of people do reject the cornerstone. They don't want to build their life on Jesus. And Peter says, well, they'll stumble and fall. I hope that's not you this evening. You sort of meet Jesus and you kind of, he's, he's, you kind of trip up over him. You're not really sure about Jesus. You're not going to trust in him hope you'll see he's sweet. But for believers, as we build our lives on that cornerstone, something quite remarkable happens. That is, we become like little living stones as well. We get added on to Jesus as we build our life on him. And what God is creating upon Jesus through all of us is this spiritual house or temple, a place where God dwells among us. That's who we are in this world. Not a building, of course. We're not, God doesn't just dwell in this kind of building. But he, build, he dwells in our holy society as we love each other. As we dwell in his word together. And so verse 7, I think, is, was such an understatement. Um, it says, so honor will come to you who believe. Um, I, I don't like to you know, point out better translation things, but I th- it's, it's kind of literally, so for you who believe, the honor... It's all yours. How honorable is it to be a living stone built onto Jesus, to be part of this community where God lives and dwells among us? Even in the midst of this dark world, there is a new community amidst whom God lives. It's being shown forth. And that's what God has done. Verse 9, let's flick over towards the end there in verse 9. God is the one who called you out of darkness death and ignorance into his lights. Know his marvelous light, because how good is our God? Once we weren't a people, we didn't quite know where we belonged. We didn't really quite know who we were. But now we're the people of God. This great work God has done. And here we are. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession. 
What an incredible way to be described. This, again, it's all from Exodus 19, where God's just rescued people out of death, out of slavery in Egypt, just like he's rescued us out of sin. And he's brought us, he says, on eagle's wings to himself, to be his people. And he says, now I've rescued you to be mine. You guys are a holy nation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a people for my possession. You're mine. I love you. Though the whole earth is mine, he says, I've chosen you. Though the whole earth, guys, out there, all the people you meet day by day, they all belong to God, but he's chosen you. He's chosen us to be his special possession. Remember that each day you belong to him, you're his. We're a royal priesthood. That's what he said in verse 5 as well. I love this idea because, you know, the Levites in the Old Testament, they didn't get any land. They weren't given any land because God is your inheritance, Moses said. That's us. God is your inheritance. He is yours. And you are his possession. The Levites actually had two jobs they had to do. Uh, One was to offer sacrifices. That's what it says in verse 5. They offered sacrifices. That's us. We exist to please God and worship him as we meet together and love each other and worship God. These are are our spiritual sacrifices. I don't know if you guys ever feel this. You feel like um, we do these things to make God happy. God, I hope you're happy with our praise. We're doing our best. I hope you're happy. What does it say in verse 5? You yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He smiles down upon our holy society here as we love each other and worship him. The priest's second job was to stand between God and the world to represent God to the world. And so this is our job. Verse 9, why has he done it all? So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Friends, we have so many reasons to praise our God, don't we? What he's done, we're so privileged as individuals and as a community here. It's such a privilege to be his people. Friends, I hope you um, recognize what church is. That it's a new holy society. It's been given birth to by God's powerful gospel word. And that we are to love each other. And that is part of our spiritual sacrifice to God. Just a quick word about next year. I don't know, some of you guys aren't going to be able to come to um, 3.30 church. Uh, that's obviously a heap sad thing. Uh, which if we could avoid, we'd love to. Uh, but this is the plan. This is what we're doing. So some of you are going to end up in different services, maybe even different churches. Maybe you'll travel next year, but you'll be in a different part of the world. Wherever you go, you're part of this. This big thing God's doing in the midst of this dying, broken world. You're part of this new society. Best seen in the regularly gathered people of God like this. But it's, it's international, it's universal, it's, it's Catholic in the proper word, proper term, the meaning of that term. So be part of it. Let's be part of it. Let's keep growing ourselves up in the word, loving each other deeply, declaring his praises together.
We're going to do that now. We're going to just get together and, and, and pray, uh, declare his praises together, singing of the marvelous things he's done for us. So band, you guys want to jump up? I'll pray for us, and then we're going to sing about how marvelous our God is. Uh, God, we really just want to thank you for your great kindness to us. Um, God, we, we recognize that we weren't amazing people. Um, we were really lost from you. But in your grace, you showed us mercy. You made us who weren't a people, your people. Um, incredibly privileged, Father. Thank you for making us uh, more than we ever could have been. Um, this royal priesthood. And Father, as we gather together now, as we, as we sing praise to you now, we want to we make all these things a, a spiritual sacrifice to you. We're so thankful that you're pleased in us as we do that through the Lord Jesus. Thank you that you smile down upon us through the Lord Jesus. Father, I do pray that you'd give us that grand vision of church and what you're doing among us. May we take part in this great church that you're building. Amen.